And so today is a day of prayer. And so congregation, boys and girls, what are you praying for? What did you ask for? What is your ultimate desire? What is uppermost on your mind? What are our priorities? What do we seek? What do we desire also for this coming season? And of course, boys and girls, we realize that when we have prayer, that is not to suggest that that is the only day when we ought to pray. In that sense, of course, every day should be a prayer day. Every day should be a day in which we seek the face of God. And yet it is very fitting that on a regular basis we do have such a day of prayer so that we also remember as a congregation how utterly dependent we are upon the Lord. And so the purpose of the preaching of God's Word is to stimulate that and to give us the proper focus, a biblical focus, as to what it is that we should seek and what it is that we should desire. With God's help tonight, we will do that by focusing on the prayer of Agur, which we find recorded in Proverbs 30, the chapter we read to you. We will read again verses 7, 8, and 9. 7, 8, and 9 of Proverbs 30. There we read God's word in our text. Two things have I required of thee. Deny me them not before I die. Remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me. Lest I be full and deny thee and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of my God in vain. And so we have the prayer of Agur. That's the name we read in the opening verse of this chapter. Two simple points. First of all, the petitions of this prayer. Two things he's asking of the Lord. Two things. Remove far from me vanity and lies, and feed me with food convenient for me. And then secondly, the confession of this prayer. Verse 9. Lest I be full and deny thee, or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of my God in vain. So the prayer of Agur, the petitions of this prayer, and the confession of this prayer. Many Bible scholars believe that the last two chapters of Proverbs were added during the time of Hezekiah. The focus of this chapter is on Agur, and chapter 1, or chapter 31, the focus is on Lemuel. And so the question is, who were these men? Who was Agur? All we read here about him, that he was the son of Jake. And congregation, it always strikes me that when Scripture is silent on something, that the commentaries have a great deal to say. And so there is all kinds of speculation as to who this Agur may have been. 
A congregation, for me, the answer is simple. It's not for us to know who he was. It's not for us to know where he came from. He may possibly have been even a descendant of Ishmael. He may have been an Arab. We don't know. He may have been not an Israelite. We simply don't know who this man was. And we don't know who Ithiel and Yuko are. But what matters, congregation, is what the Holy Spirit reveals about that man. And so rather than focusing on who he might have been, where he might have hailed from, what matters is what are his spiritual credentials. Because those spiritual credentials are very clearly articulated for us in these opening six verses. One thing is certain, that this was a godly man. That this was a man who was used by God in this particular instance to communicate his word. In other words, he too was a prophet, albeit an obscure prophet. And yet what the Bible tells us about this man is remarkable. Let me just highlight a few things, so please read along with me in your Bibles. First of all, what do we know about this man in verse 3? Is a man who is very, very humble. A man who has very low thoughts of himself. He says, I neither learned wisdom nor have the knowledge of the holy. A man who confesses that his knowledge of God is very, very primitive. So he was a humble man before God. Secondly, he was a man who obviously stood in awe of God. We see that in verse 4. And where he asked the questions that reminds us of the book of Job, does it not? Questions that we cannot answer. And he finally says, what is his name? And what is his son's name, if thou canst tell? Oh, this man stood in awe of God. He realized how very little he knew of God. Thirdly, in verse 5, he was a man who was experientially acquainted with God. And so he confesses uh, his awe and respect for the Word of God. Every word of God is pure, he says. And he is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. And he knew this from experience. So he was experientially acquainted with this God whom he adored and who he stood in awe of. And fourthly, he was a man who had a deep respect for the word of God. And so he says in verse 6, Add thou not unto his words, lest he reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. And so Agur was a deeply spiritual man. Agar was a man who was taught of God. Agar was a man who was intimately acquainted with God. And above all, Agar was a man who was inspired by the Spirit of God. Because it, it uses the word here, prophecy, even the prophecy. And again, most commentators comment here that the idea in Hebrew is, this is what he is giving here is, is the oracle of God. In other words, he is communicating the very words of God. 
And we have to realize, of course, that when the Bible talks about prophecy, it doesn't necessarily mean that we're talking about the foretelling of the future. And so let me explain again that a prophet in Scripture is simply a man who speaks on God's behalf. A prophet was God's ambassador. A prophet was God's spokesman. And so here we're told that this Agur was a man of God and that he spoke as the oracle of God. He spoke the word of God. He was inspired by the Holy Spirit also in this remarkable prayer which he prayed. And so because Agur was a spiritual man, that's why he also had a spiritual perspective of life. Notice what it says in verse 7. Two things have I required of thee. Deny me them not before I die. I want to focus on those words, before I die. So, Agar was a man who recognized that death could happen at any moment. Agar was a man who realized that there is nothing more uncertain than life itself. Agar recognized that our time here on earth is but a brief period. A congregation, how necessary it is for us and for us and, and, to, and for you too, boys and girls, to have this biblical perspective on life. There's nothing that makes us more uncomfortable than the reality of death. And yet it's a reality that surrounds us. We literally do not know if we, will, if we will take another breath. We literally do not know whether we will live another day. And why is this so important also when we stand before another season? Because we need to realize that this life is brief. This life is short. And that we need to have a biblical, we need to have a spiritual perspective on life. We need to be reminded. That's what these words do. We need to be reminded that we have no abiding city here. Agar was a man who understood what Moses said in Psalm 90. Namely, that our days are numbered. The prayer of Moses, teach us to number our days. And you could translate that, teach us that our days are numbered. Agar was a man who understood that. Agar was a man who believed that. Agar was a man who, because he was such a spiritual man, a God-oriented man, a God-focused man, that we are called to live our lives here as strangers and pilgrims. We are to live our lives with the perspective of eternity. We are to live our lives with the reality that this short life of ours can come to an end at any moment. That each moment counts also in this coming season. And I know that when you're young and when you're children, uh, that seems such a that's, that seems to be so far away. The idea that you also are going to die. And yet we all know of countless examples of people dying, not only when they're old, 
but also when they are young. Not far from where we lived in Iowa, a 12-year-old boy was killed. He was helping his brother with daily chores. Something went wrong. One of those huge round bales fell on top of him. And he perished. And you know, ever since that happened, there is not a time, and we drove by there many times, there's not a time that my wife and I drive by there that we are reminded of the fact that a 12-year-old boy died. So unexpected, so unanticipated. And so this is not a pleasant reality, but it is a reality that we must consider. It was a reality to Agar. And say, he says, Lord, while I'm still here, while I'm still living, before I die, Lord, grant me those two things, those two things I desire. And basically what Agar does here, he reduces all of the objectives of life, ultimately he reduces them to two categories. And so what we see here in this prayer of Agar He was concerned about his spiritual well-being, and he was concerned about his temporal needs in that order. Because he begins by saying, his first petition is, he says, remove from me, far from me, vanity and lies. Luther translates this as follows. He says, Remove far from me idolatry and lies. And several commentators do comment that this is actually the meaning of the word. Remove from me idolatry and lies. So what Agur is saying, what he is praying, and what ought to be our prayer as we stand before another season, Lord, keep me from worshiping the idols of this world. Keep me from being seduced by the vanity of this world. Keep me from being seduced by all that this world is offering. Keep me from being deceived by the siren song of this culture of ours that surrounds us. A congregation, what a necessary prayer that is. We live, in that sense, in an extraordinary time. Because never in the history of the world have people lived like we do. Never in the history of the world have people enjoyed this kind of material wealth, this kind of prosperity as we now take for granted in our generation. And our culture has become a very idolatrous culture. And so the Lord Jesus warns for the worship of the mammon, especially in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6. And he makes it very clear in Matthew 6 that you cannot serve two masters. Either you serve God or you serve the mammon. You can't have it both ways. So Agar is saying, Lord, let me not be seduced by the idolatry of our age. Let me not be seduced by the vanity of this world. We know that Solomon famously begins the book of Ecclesiastes with these words, vanity 
of vanities, saith the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. Of course, what vanity means is emptiness. So what Solomon had discovered at the end of his life, that what this world has to offer, what the idols of this world have to offer, is ultimately nothing but vanity. Vanity, it is emptiness. Yet we are so vulnerable, so very vulnerable to be seduced by the spirit of our age. There's nothing new under the sun. Evidently, Agur struggled with this as well. And if he struggled with it, then how we ought to struggle with it. And so we could translate it this way and say, Lord, keep me. Keep me from being conformed to this present world. That's easier said than done, congregation. I am also a child of this generation. And we are kidding ourselves if we think that we are not seduced by our culture. We are kidding ourselves if we think that in many ways our lives already have been compromised by the vain things of this culture. But he adds something else. He says, remove far from me vanity and lies. What a striking description that is of the world in which we live. A culture that is completely dominated by lies and by deceit. In 2 Timothy 3, the apostle uses the striking expression when he describes the ungodly as deceiving and being deceived. And ultimately, a life without God is ultimately a lie. So, boys and girls, I'm going to tell you something that hopefully you will remember. If you take the word life, L-I-F-E, life, and you take the F out of it, what's left is a lie. And so if the F stands for the fall in Adam, when Adam fell, and we in him, our life changed into a lie. And so the natural man lives a lie. By nature, we believe the lie. Our world is a world filled with deceit, filled with lies. And it should not surprise us because Satan is the prince of this world and he is the father of all lies. And we are surrounded by that deceitful culture. We have media that are blatantly dishonest to us. We have politicians who are dishonest to us. There's deceit everywhere, everywhere. Because the life of fallen man is ultimately a lie. And we need, to, we need to ask for grace. And that's what Agar is doing. We need to ask for grace that we will not be deceived by the lies of our culture, by the lies of our world. But that instead we remain focused on the Word of God. So that our objectives, our Perspective is a biblical one rather than a worldly one. In Psalm 39, verse 6, we read those remarkable words. Surely, it says, 
Every man walketh in a vain show. Surely they are disquieted in vain. He heapeth up riches and knoweth not who shall gather them. A vain show. Think about that. And if you read those verses in their context, in their context, when the psalmist says, man at his very best state is altogether vanity. And you know, boys and girls, you know what, what that means? That means that a life without God is nothing more than a beautiful soap bubble. And you know how beautiful a soap bubble can look. That there's nothing in it. And in one moment it's gone. That's what the psalmist means here in Psalm 39. He's saying, every man walketh in a vain show. What a striking description that is of a life without God. The psalmist is saying, a man who lives without God is ultimately living a life that amounts to nothing. A life without God is ultimately a wasted life. Surely they are disquieted in vain. And how many people are not disquieted today? The prescriptions for antidepressants, anti-anxiety medication are at an all-time high because people are disquieted. In spite of all that this culture offers, in spite of the siren song of our culture, so many people are profoundly unhappy. They are disquieted, they are troubled. And yet their goal, their desire is to heap up riches. And then the psalmist says, and we do not know who shall gather them. That's one of the lies of our culture. One of the lies of our culture is that Temporal prosperity, monetary prosperity, or plain English, that riches equals happiness. And how many are not in a vain pursuit after that? And Agar is saying, Lord, keep me from that lie. Keep me from living that kind of lie. Keep me from this vanity. Keep me from this deception. Enable me to remain focused on thee. Enable me to remain focused on thy word. Psalm 190, verse 29, we read, Remove from me the way of lying, and grant me thy law graciously. Jonah in chapter 2, verse 8, in that remarkable prayer that he prays when he's in the belly of the whale, he says this, They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercies. And so what Agar is concerned about is that his perspective will not be correct. That's his longing, his desire. Lord, give me the right perspective. Give me a biblical perspective. Give me a spiritual perspective. Give me a correct understanding of what this world is all about that we live in. And Agar realized, Agar had self-knowledge. Agar was a man who was humble. Agar realized that we are naturally attracted to the things of this world. And that we too, if we profess to be God's children, we too are so vulnerable to be seduced by our present world. So in a way, you could say that what Agar is praying in his own way 
It's what Christ taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. Agar realized that for a child of God, for the Christian, the world is a dangerous place. For a Christian to live in this fallen world is like living in a minefield. And a minefield is very dangerous because you don't know where the landmines are hidden. You need to proceed very, very carefully because when you step on a landmine, you will die. And so living in this world, in this ungodly world, being surrounded by this ungodly culture of ours, being surrounded by the siren song of our culture, having as its goal to seduce us, is a world in which we cannot make it on our own. And Agar realized that. Lord, lead me. Remove far from me, he said, vanities and lies. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. Lord, enable me to have a biblical perspective about my life. First John 2, verse 16, we read this. For all that is of the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. And so what Agar is longing for, and what we ought to be longing for, what we ought to be praying for, that also in this year, in this season, as we labor, and we are to labor diligently, We are to do what our hand finds to do, but that we may do so with a biblical perspective, with biblical priorities. And those priorities could be summarized as follows, that we do everything we can to promote the coming of God's kingdom and to do whatever it takes to provide for our families, not only temporally, not only in terms of material things, but also in terms of their spiritual well-being. I could summarize it in a different way yet. We could say that what Agar is praying for, he's saying, Lord, let my focus be on Thee. In verse 9, he talks about God as my God. Lord, that Thou wouldst be the focus of my life, that my life may be oriented towards Thee, that my desire might be to honor thee, to serve thee, and to walk in thy ways. And if we translate it into New Testament language, Lord, give me grace to be a faithful follower of Christ. Lord, grant that first and foremost, my desire would be to follow him, to be like him, to walk in his ways to be preoccupied with God himself. And so, congregation, is that what you desire? Is that what you prayed for today? Did you pray, first of all, that God would grant you spiritual prosperity, that he would cause your soul to prosper, that you would grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ? 
that God would so work in us that the world and all that it has to offer loses its appeal for us. That we live our lives realizing that we are here but for a short season. Oh, he says, give me these things, Lord. Deny me them not before I die. Then his second petition. Feed me with food convenient for me. What a wonderful petition that is. How plain that petition is. What Agar is saying, Lord, in the season before me, give me exactly what I need. Lord, give me exactly what I need in my pilgrim's journey. Give me no more and give me no less. Give me, the, uh, give me a fitting portion that I need. What a wonderful petition that is. A petition that should be our petition. We should be saying, Lord, each day in this coming season, give me precisely what I need. What I need for my physical well-being and what I need for my spiritual well-being. Lord, give me what I need as thou didst care for thy people in the wilderness. That's what God did, did he not? During those 40 years as they journeyed through the wilderness, God gave them food convenient for them. Nothing more and nothing less. Every single day, he gave them manna. We read in Exodus 60, verse 35, and the children of Israel did eat manna 40 years until they came to a land inhabited. They did eat manna until they came unto the borders of the land of Canaan. And that should be the prayer of a spiritual person. Lord, as I am journeying to the promised land, as I'm journeying towards that which my soul longs for, is to be delivered from the body of this death and to be translated into that presence until that moment arrives, until I come to that moment. Lord, grant me what I need. Give me food convenient for me. Nothing more and nothing less. And it's so beautiful that God did precisely that. They did eat manna until they came to the borders of the land of Canaan. So you see, this is a prayer of a man who recognizes that his ultimate future was not here. He realized that he was but traveling through. That's how it ought to be with God's children. We are called to be strangers and pilgrims in this world. And that's very difficult. It's difficult for me. It's difficult for all of us. Life has become so comfortable. We are surrounded by such extraordinary prosperity. And so what he's praying for is really what Christ taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer. Lord, give me this day my daily bread. And the language is very, very simple that Christ uses here. And he does that purposely. Give me this day my daily bread. In other words, Lord, provide for my daily needs. 
And for what purpose? For what purpose? Let me just briefly say that. Ultimately, we will get to the Lord's Prayer. But why is that petition positioned precisely there? You know what the first three petitions are. Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And then all of a sudden, give us, uh, give us this day our daily bread. Why precisely at that location? Because Christ is simply saying, in order for those three petitions, those first three petitions, in order for them to be a reality, you will need daily bread to sustain you to do what? Because what Christ is doing in those three petitions, he gives us really the agenda of the Christian life. He's saying there are three important things in the Christian life. And that is we are to hallow God's name, we are to seek the coming of his kingdom, and we are to live in obedience to his will. And in order to do that, give us this day our daily bread so that we will be equipped to fulfill the task that God has given us here in this life. But of course, what is implied here too by this petition is that he is saying, Lord, grant me the grace to be satisfied with the portion which thou givest me. Lord, keep me from covetousness. Keep me from dissatisfaction. The congregation, it is a great grace in our culture, in our day, to be satisfied. It is a great grace to be content with that which we have. Because we live in a culture and the, um, the advertising culture that has totally invaded our lives, which would want to, us to stay perpetually unhappy, to be perpetually dissatisfied with what we have. Now, Agar is saying, Lord, give me what I need. And he, he expresses his trust and his confidence in God, that God will give him precisely what he needs. So turn with me again to 1 Timothy 6. Let's read verse 6 again. 1 Timothy 6, verse 6. There we read this. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Then these stunning words. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. Food and raiment. Paul is saying here, when God provides for our daily needs, we should be content with that which he provides. That's what we should desire, that God will meet our needs to enable us to continue our pilgrim's journey. Then these stunning words, we bring nothing into the world and we can carry nothing out. It's been said, it's not original with me, but it's a powerful statement. You will never see a hearst with a U-Haul behind it. In other words, no matter what you achieve in this world, you came into the world with nothing and you will leave with nothing. 
I've seen it many, many times. When people are on their deathbed, all that's left is their night garment. They came in the world with nothing, and they leave with nothing. And yet, for the believer, like Agar, ultimately, we do not leave the world with nothing. Because if by the grace of God we belong to the children of God, if by the grace of God we have come to Christ, if by the grace of God we have become His followers, and we live our lives looking to Him, the author and finisher of our faith, and we run the race that is set before us, then we do not ultimately leave this life with nothing. Then we leave this life with everything. Then we leave all that is of this world, we leave all of it behind, and yet we have everything if Christ is our portion. That's, of course, the point. Life is only worth living if Christ is our portion. If Christ is not our portion, we have nothing. Then our life, as the psalmist says, is ultimately but a vain show. And I want you to notice how, how tender the heart of this man is. He doesn't just say, remove from me vanity and lies. He says, remove far from me vanity and lies. Here's a man who was afraid of himself. Here is a man who did not trust himself. Here is a man who realized how vulnerable he was. How vulnerable to be deceived and to be deluded by the culture that surrounds us. Lord, keep it far from me. David speaks like that in Psalm 119, verse 29. Remove from me the way of lying and grant me thy law graciously. In verse 37, he says, Turn away mine eyes from beholding vanity and quicken thou me in thy way. And so the important conclusion here is, is that for Agar, his spiritual needs, his spiritual concerns are number one. And his temporal needs are secondary. And he addresses them in that order. Remove far from me vanity and lies. There he prays for his spiritual prosperity, his spiritual well-being. And then when he prays, feed me with food convenient for me, he prays for his temporal well-being. But then, of course, he says, and I did not skip this, and that brings us to my last point, because the confession that he makes in verse 9 is connected to the second line in verse 8. He says, give me neither poverty nor riches. And so Agar realized that both riches, wealth, and poverty could be hazardous to his soul. He realized that riches and poverty have this in common, that it can cause a man to lose his spiritual focus. And so Agar had lived long enough, and he had enough life experience that he realized that prosperity was dangerous and that poverty was dangerous. First of all, he focuses on prosperity. He said, lest I be full and deny thee and say, who is the Lord? So what is the danger 
that comes with prosperity? What is the danger that comes with riches? What is the danger that comes with, with wealth? I want to make, be, be very clear. Agar is not denouncing riches per se. He's not denouncing wealth per se. But what he is saying, there is a, there's a danger. There's a danger in being wealthy. There is a danger in being prosperous. And what is the danger? Well, two dangers. First of all, the danger of forgetting the Lord, our benefactor. Turn with me to Deuteronomy 6, verse 11. Deuteronomy 6, verse 11. There we read this. It says, When thou shalt have eaten and be full, then beware, lest thou forget the Lord, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Beware, lest thou forget the Lord. Then Hosea 30, verse 6, something similar. It says, they were filled, and their heart was exalted, and therefore have they forgotten me. Charles Bridges, in his commentary on Proverbs, makes this profound statement. He's saying, as we prosper in the flesh... We are impoverished in the Spirit. And that's what Agar realized. And he says, Lord, don't give me riches. Don't give me poverty, but don't give me riches. Because I will be in danger of denying thee and say, who is the Lord? In other words, when we prosper, we tend to take the credit ourselves. When we prosper outwardly, we are in danger of forgetting our benefactor, the God from whom all blessings flow. And he uses strong language here. Lest I deny the Lord. Lest I deny that he is the fountain of all blessings. Turn with me to Deuteronomy 31 verse 20. 31 verse 20. Where this is addressed again. And here the Lord speaks and says, When I shall have brought them into the land which I swear unto their fathers, that floweth with milk and honey, and they shall have eaten and filled themselves and waxen fat, then will they turn unto other gods and serve them and provoke me and break my covenant. That's exactly what happened to Israel. And I fear, congregation, that's precisely what's happened to our nation. Our nation has been extraordinarily blessed. Our nation has been prospered above all nations on this world. There's never been a nation like it. The prosperity we enjoy today is extraordinary, but what are the wretched results of it? Is that increasingly, rapidly increasingly, we are turning to other gods and we serve them and we are provoking the Lord. And so we see that wretched combination we saw in the history of Israel as well, that wretched combination of prosperity and idolatry and they go hand in hand. Verse 
And the result will be disastrous unless God grants revival. It has to begin with us. We, we have to be a people that have the, the proper focus. That's the whole point of this petition. Our focus must be a spiritual one. Our objectives, our perspective must be spiritual. Our priorities must be spiritual. Lord, give me the grace to be a spiritual man with spiritual priorities, with spiritual desires. That's why we read in Psalm 62, verse 10, If riches increase, set not your heart upon them. That's the difference between Lot and Abraham. Abraham was a wealthy man. But he did not set his heart upon it. And so he graciously gave Lot the choice. And Lot was attracted by the prosperity of Sodom and Gomorrah. He was deceived by it. And he followed the lust of the flesh with all of the wretched consequences. But see, Abraham had a better portion. Even though he was a wealthy man, yet his focus was on God. And that's why he could give Lot the first choice. Because the only thing that mattered to Abraham was God's favor. He desired to go where God would lead him. But there's the opposite. Or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of God in vain. You know, congregation, the idea of poverty is something that we are not so familiar with. Yet there are so many people in the world who live in abject poverty. And there are more people in this country that live in poverty, more than we realize. And so to us, it's almost even foreign to, to look at this. Poverty, real poverty. And Eger says, if I should be poor, I would be tempted to steal. And I would be tempted to take the name of my God in vain by speaking ill of my God, by being discontent, by being envious, by being covetous. I would be in danger of dishonoring my God. That's the bottom line of Agur's remarkable prayer. Again, you see what a tender man he was, a tender, God-fearing man. The idea of denying God through prosperity, the idea of taking God's name in vain, dishonoring God if he were to be reduced to poverty, was something that troubled him. Why? Because he was a man that loved God. He was a man whose desire it was to fear God, to walk in his ways. He was a man whose desire it was to live a godly life, a life with godly priorities, with a godly perspective. And that's how we should face this new season, with a godly perspective, with a spiritual perspective. That's easier said than done. It takes grace every day. That's why God at times will afflict his children greatly, even today, is to wean us from this prosperous culture of ours. 
So that we will be strangers and pilgrims. That we will long and desire for that better country. That we will live our lives in the realization that we're here but for a short time. Lord, I require this of thee before I die. And so may it be our prayer every day with anger. Lord, remember me spiritually. Keep me. Protect me. Keep me far from vanity and lies. And Lord, take care of my temporal needs. Please provide for me food that is convenient so that I will live a life in which I neither deny thee and a life in which I neither take thy name in vain, but a life in which I honor thy name. Isn't that what Jesus meant when he said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Let that be your priority. And in the context there, of course, in Matthew 6, he's talking about the, the temporal needs. What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Wherewithal shall we be closed? But then he says very remarkably, that's what occupies the Gentiles. Those that do not know God, they are completely obsessed with what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Wherewithal shall we be closed? And he's saying to the disciples, you ought not to be like that. But instead, seek first the kingdom of God and seek first his righteousness. And all those things that pertain to life, all your temporal needs, what you shall eat and drink and be clothed, all of those needs will be met. But let the coming of my kingdom, let my kingdom and my righteousness, let that be the priority of your life. That's what Jesus meant, did he not, when he said to Martha, when he when he rebuked her, and he said, one thing is needful, and Mary has chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. And so, my dear congregation, boys and girls, could that be said of me and you, that we have chosen that good part? Can it be said of your and my life that the seeking of God's kingdom has the priority for us. Are we a spiritual people like Agar? Are these priorities, are they our priorities? The famous Bishop Hall commenting on this said, when we are rich materially, we will be poor in spirit. But he said, when we are poor materially, we will often be rich in grace. And you know, in previous generations, not too many generations ago, some of our forefathers did not know how to make it from one day to the next. But they feared God, and they lived close to the Lord. They lived in daily dependence upon Him, and they prospered spiritually. Now today, because of our unspeakable prosperity, what spiritual poverty is now the result of it? And again, I'm not denouncing spiritual possessions or uh, material possessions, and neither does Agar. 
but we need to view them in their biblical perspective. And so let us go into this season as well, praying that we too may have these biblical perspectives. Let the prayer of Agur be our prayer. Lord, two things have I required of thee. Deny me them not before I die. Remove from me far vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, we thank Thee, Lord, for the opportunity that we could be here on a weeknight to hear Thy Word and to listen to this remarkable portion of Thy Word, which gives us clear direction what our focus must be, what the substance of our prayer must be every single day. And Lord, we pray that we would follow the example of the godly Agur. And that we would pray daily that thou wouldst prosper us spiritually, that thou wouldst keep and protect us, that thou wouldst remove far from us vanity and lies, but also that thou wouldst again give us food convenient for us. And so, Lord, remember us. And Lord, if we need to repent, of our world conformity, give us grace to do it, that we would humble ourselves before Thee, and that by grace we would follow the clear direction of our Savior, who also exhorts us, saying, Seek ye first my kingdom and my righteousness, and all these things that pertain to daily life shall be added unto Thee. Remember us now as we go homeward, bring us home safely. And gather with us again on thy day. Forgive us our sins also of this hour. We ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.